um, as we welcome in our new freshmen. But first, um, I do have to recap one thing about our superhero series that we just finished. Um, we finished it last week. In fact, we were supposed to take it in. If the freshmen don't know, we were doing a series for seven weeks where we were, we were somehow tying in a superhero character to an ancient heresy. Okay, don't ask. Just go listen to the podcast. Um, but I will say, you guys hung with it. And man, it was, it was some heavy theology, it was, wasn't it? It was, my head hurt after every talk that I either gave or I listened to. And, uh, and I'm sure yours, yours probably did as well. But we finished that last week, and today was supposed to be um, the last talk in that series. And it was going to be, the superhero is going to be Spider-Man. And um, I just thought, I probably shouldn't do the first Sunday with the freshman on heresy. Let's just not start there. And so my, my spidey sense kicked in, and I was like, you know, I'm just going to not do that today. So I decided to do something different. So we finished it last week. Um, but I need to solve one. We solved a lot of theological dilemmas in that series, but we did not ever solve one of the biggest dilemmas, and it's this, DC versus Marvel. We didn't. We didn't solve that. And so here's the really good news. Um, I was reading the Bible recently, just last week, on my just plan that I'm going through the Bible and stuff. And, and listen to this. The Bible weighs in on this debate, okay? Matthew 21, 18 to 20 says, In the morning, this is about Jesus, as he was returning to the city, he became hungry. And seeing a fig tree by the wayside, he went to it and found nothing on it but only leaves. And he said to it, May no fruit ever come from you again. And the fig tree withered at once. Then the next phrase says this, when the disciples saw it, they marveled, all right? So right there, the Bible has weighed in. We can drop the mic. We can finish the sermon. We can all go home. Um, that's, that's it. That's, that's been solved. So uh, when I started the series, the superhero series, my wife and I were talking. My wife and I, self-admittedly, we are not big superhero comic book movie people. We're not, okay? So this, this series really stretched me quite a bit. Um, and my wife said this really, she told me I could tell you this, so I'm telling you this now. She's actually not here today, but um, this is not why she's not here, but I'll, let me tell you the story. So she, at the beginning part of the series, I was talking about DC and Marvel and stuff, and she goes, she goes, yeah, that new movie that came out, what's it called? Uh, Captain Marvel. She goes, which universe is that? And I was like, Courtney, even I know this, okay? Like, okay, let's just, just do the math here, Courtney, all right? So she, she was confused, all right? Um, so, uh, so we do welcome in the new ninth graders today, and we're going to talk about something really, really important, and it's discipleship. That's going to be our focus this morning as we talk about this. And we're talking about discipling in community. Now, a couple of years ago, we did a series called Handmade Disciples, and so I'm pulling some of that stuff from, from that series a couple years ago. And we talked about this idea of handmade. Like if you, if you go to restaurants, if you just go look and see at, the, at, the, at certain restaurants and even just certain shops, they will put the word handcrafted or handmade on everything. Why? Because it just sounds more interesting. Like if you just say ice cream, it just sounds, okay, ice cream. If you say hand-churned ice cream. It's like, ooh, ooh. Someone put like their, their work into this. Like someone did this by hand. 
Or if you look at certain things that are, you know, like little, um, little uh, woodworking stuff, stuff like that. It'll say, if it says handmade, there's something that about, about it that just goes, I want to, I'm more interested. I'm, this, this feels more authentic and genuine, right? And so we've talked about how when, you, when something's handmade, you can literally see the marks that someone left on whatever that thing is. And in some sense, discipleship is kind of like that. Your life should be marked by other people's lives. Your life should be marking other people's lives. And so in this sense, there's this real personal nature to discipleship. And so we're going to talk about how this plays out in community today. So turn to Matthew chapter 28. Look at verse 18, starting there. This is the Great Commission passage, a famous one. Matthew 28, verse 18, where Jesus says, it says, And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Everything we do here should be about making disciples. Everything. And if it's not, we should stop doing it. Uh, there, there was many years ago, I've been at TVC for 15 years, and many years ago, um, we did like three different ski trips over the course of 10 years. And, and, uh, and I love going, I have a snowboard, I love going snowboarding, I love ski trips, but um, there just was, I could not make the connection in my mind why we're doing this thing called a ski trip. And this one year, I wasn't going to do it, and these students were like, can you please do a ski trip? We'll get all of our friends to go. And I said, listen, we don't even fill up one bus to go to Colorado, and I pay all this money, and what's, what's, the, what's the payoff? What's the point? And so they talked me into it, and this was the worst one where I lost like $5,000 on the ski trip. And I was like, I'm not doing this any, ever again, okay? And I love that kind of stuff, but here's the deal. I could never make a connection between why we're doing this thing called a ski trip and discipleship. It encouraged me that um, we fill up two buses plus some to go to impact camp because you guys want to go and teach the gospel. That, that energizes me. But I couldn't fill up one bus to go to Colorado on a ski trip. And I love the fact that our students get more pumped up for something to go serve versus something to be entertained. That really encouraged me. And so if we can't make a connection between stuff we do here and discipleship, I'm going to cut it. I'm not going to do it. So there's some important things here in this text. The first thing we see is that discipleship is at the heart of Christ's ministry. We saw that all throughout his life, and we see it in what he says to his disciples as he's about to depart. And this should be the heart of our ministry as well. Christ gave us a pattern to follow, and we should follow after it. He spent three years with these disciples many of whom were young. Whenever we hear the names Peter, James, and John, don't we usually picture the way the movies depict them? The movies depict them as these old men. Like whenever you see, picture Peter like sinking into the water when he loses, his, loses sight of Jesus and he's coming back out, you just picture him being this old guy, right? But that's not the case. Do you know that the disciples were very young when Jesus spent time with them. Some would say they were even teenagers. They didn't have long beards. They had like peach fuzz, right? So they were young. That's who he spent his time with. And now he's telling them to go and make disciples. So I want you to understand this. 
you're not too young to go and help make disciples. You're not too young for this. The second thing we see in the Bible is discipleship is more than just conversion. It's about teaching people to observe all that God has commanded. So it's not just about a decision or deciding to follow Christ and that's it. It's about a lifestyle change. I think we always make it about this decision, and it's so much more than that. And I think this raises a really good question. Okay, what is a disciple exactly? Well, it's a follower. Very simply, a disciple is a follower. I know in our world today, everybody wants to be a leader, but not a follower. Everybody wants to stand out, but not too much, because then you'll look like you're standing out too much. But I want to I stand out, but I don't want to be a follower. I want to be known as a leader. I want to be someone that, that people follow after. That's very common today. If you ask people, are you a leader or a follower, most want to say they're a leader. That just sounds better. It just sounds more individual, like you're established. So following Jesus goes against our cultural values of being an individual. Most people want to say, you know, I'm my own person. I'm an individual. People are following after me. So the idea of you following someone else goes against our cultural values. So what does it mean to be a Jesus follower? So being a Christian does not mean that we just believe some facts about Jesus. I think one of the biggest misconceptions in the church today especially is that people think that to be a Christian means that I just believe a set of facts about Jesus and then I can call myself a Christian. That is not all that it is to be a Christian. You do need to believe some things about Jesus and mankind and yourself, of course, but just believing a set of facts about Jesus is not what makes someone a disciple. What makes someone a disciple is when their life has been changed, transformed by Jesus. In Philippians chapter 2, verse 1, Paul talks about us being united with Christ. And so, how does someone become a disciple of, of God, of Jesus? We know, if you go back to creation, we know that God is good. He created everything to be good, including mankind, including Adam and Eve. But you don't have to look very, very far to see that things have gone terribly wrong. And we see that in Genesis chapter 3. Everyone turned away from God and his law, and because God is good, he is just, and he brings sin to justice. But here's the really good news. Because he's good, he's not only just, but he's also merciful. We forget about that. That his goodness, he's just, but he's also merciful. And we find that mercy in the gift of his son, Jesus Christ. Mark Dever says this, Through his death and resurrection, all the guilt of sin that is yours becomes his, and all the righteousness that is his becomes yours. This is called the great exchange. This is the idea that your your guilt, your sin, is placed upon Jesus at the cross, and that his righteousness is now applied to you when you come to faith in Christ. This is called the great exchange. And so how do we accept this gift? We accept it through faith, And trust, we turn away from sin, and we follow after him. You turning from sin and following after him is a result of faith. And someone that has true saving faith 
is going to want to turn away from sin and follow after Jesus. Now listen, does not mean that anyone achieves perfection in this life. We do not. But if the general pathway of your life is to turn towards God and turn away from sin, that's a result of faith, true saving faith. Discipleship begins when we hear the words, follow me, and we obey them. Just like Jesus went and said to these men, follow me, and they did it literally and physically, there is a literal nature in which you and I turn to Jesus and follow after him with our lives. To be a Christian means to be a disciple. There are no Christians who are not disciples. A long time ago in the church, there was this big debate. Okay, are there Christians and are there disciples, meaning two categories? Like over here you have Christians, people that they prayed the prayer, they believe the facts about Jesus, and they're saved, but they're just not yet disciples. I would say no. I would say there's no two categories in the Bible. It's you're either disciple or you're not. And there's not another category of, well, you're a Christian, you're just not a disciple yet. No, in the Bible you see Jesus talk about the cost of discipleship. And that wasn't just meaning like, okay, you're a varsity Christian, you're a JV Christian. No, if you're a Christian, that means you're a disciple. You're a disciple. A few years ago, our leaders here at TBC asked the question, what does a disciple look like? And they came up with our core values, surrender, community, and mission. And you've heard us talk about those things a lot. Where we live here in the Bible Belt, people think that they're Christians just because they attend church. It's very common today. I talked with someone recently, um, an older couple, I guess, in the church here, and they were just sharing. I said, what's your, what's your faith story? What's your testimony? And I know that sounds like a church word, but I was trying to not make it sound like church language. It's like, what's your faith story? And they said, well, you know, we used to go to this church over here, and we used to be of this d- different denomination, and, and we just started coming to TBC, and we just, we like it. And I'm like, that's your testimony? That, that's your, like, there was nothing about, like, I recognize at this point in my life that I'm a sinner in need of a Savior, and I recognize that Jesus is that Savior And I want to place my faith and trust in him as my savior. And now I want to follow after him. It was just all about, well, I went to this church. Now I go to this church and I like it here. And I'm like, man, we're missing this. How are we missing this? It's not about just what church you attend. It's about this relationship with Jesus. So we're inviting each of you to live on this pathway of surrender, community, and mission. I know for a lot of people, it just they think of it as just surrender, and that's it, but it needs to lead to community and mission as well. I heard discipling defined this way, doing deliberate spiritual good to help others follow Jesus. Doing deliberate spiritual good to help others follow Jesus. Whenever we think of discipleship, most of us think of one older person just pouring into the life of one other person who's younger. And that is a piece of discipleship. But I want to talk to you today about discipling in community. Because it's more than just teaching information. It's a lot more than that. Discipling is highly relational. One of my favorite things 
especially in the summertime, is seeing our leaders, and I'll see stuff on social media, where our leaders will be posting pics of stuff they're doing with you guys throughout the summer. It could be like going on road trips, uh, hanging out at restaurants, um, coffee houses, wherever, eating together. And I love that because I think that's just what Jesus did. I mean, not the coffee part, but I think that's what he did, like the kind of thing he did with his disciples. He didn't just teach in a synagogue. He lived life with these people. And this is what discipleship should look like. And I think whenever we talk about discipleship, most of you think of that as our leaders, like they're they're the ones that do that. No, that's not the case. It is on them. It is on us. But it's also you. Like you were part of the process of discipleship here. And we all join in on this. If everyone has a different gifting and calling, but every Christian is called into this mission. Every Christian is. So we believe discipleship happens primarily in community. This word community, we throw around this this word a lot, but what does it mean exactly? Well, community comes from this Greek word koinonia, which means fellowship. Another word that doesn't make much sense to many of us. But related words might be common or sharing or participation. And if I can explain this this way, the the church I grew up in was a highly dysfunctional mess of a church. Um, I've told stories to many of you about my my old church growing up. But this was how my church operated. My church had three services during the week. They had Sunday morning, they had Sunday night, they had Wednesday night. And they're kind of all the same kind of service. And the pastor would stand on the stage, and he would deliver a sermon, and we would all go home. And they had the thing called Sunday school as well, where you would hear from a teacher, and they would impart their wisdom to you. But mainly, discipleship looked like this. There's a guy on a stage who just spouts out a bunch of stuff, and you listen and take down some notes, and then you all go home. And that was three times a week. There was never any, like, home groups or community groups, or there was nothing said about community. The same kind of, you know, thing happened even at the, at the little kid level. So I think I've, I've told this story before. I'll tell it again. But this was the, the meanest teacher I ever had in church. It was in third or fourth grade. And this woman was so mean. Like she was, she and her husband were supposed to teach the class together, but he was kind of a, a shy and quiet guy. So he stood at the back of the room and she would just teach the whole thing. And this is what she would do. While she's teaching the lesson... We're third or fourth graders, and if any of us started to act up, there was this thing called, use your imagination, this thing called a chalkboard at the front of the classroom, right? It's like a classroom. And, uh, and if you acted up in the class, she would look at you and give you the death stare, and she'd be like, you, come here. And you'd come up to the front of the classroom, and she would have this chalkboard, and she would draw a circle on the chalkboard, and she would fill it in with chalk. And she'd make you stick your nose in the chalk and face the board the rest of the class. I'm not kidding when she did this. To which I'm thinking, lady, this doesn't make much sense. If that kid was being distracting before, (laughs) then picture this, like someone's up here teaching, and there's a kid standing like this with their nose against the wall the rest of the class. This is how mean this woman was. But here's what her her view of discipleship was. My job is to stand in front of you and pour out all this knowledge to you, and your job is to be like a cup and just take it all in and then go home. 
Like that was her vision of discipleship. That, that was my church. And so we can't, that's not discipleship. That's just information transfer. Like she had information, she gave it to this person, and they're supposed to take it in and do something with it. That's not how discipleship works. Discipleship has to take place in community. And we're going to see why this needs to happen this way. Whoa. See, Chris is trying to kill me up here. Yeah. This stage is trapped, man. Um, Chris, get up here right now. I have a board. I'm going to put you, uh, I'm going to draw a circle, and yeah, we'll do that. Um, no, no. Um, where was I? So my home church never taught me community. Um, and I'm trying to give you all a head start, a 20-year head start. So what do we, what do we mean by discipling in community? The primary, the primary way in which you'll be discipled here is going to be through, there's some formal things that we do, like Sunday morning and Wednesday night. We do some program stuff, Sunday night G groups. So there is some formal programs, but there's also the informal. Our, our hope is that the formal programs that we do lead to the informal, lead to the times that you're hanging out together and you're doing life together. Our hope is that those things lead to those other things. And so I want you to picture just for a minute, think of a skeleton. So the skeleton, the bones, are like the church programs, okay? Now picture all the muscles and the tendons and ligaments. These are like the relationships. And so a skeleton needs the muscles, and the muscles need the skeleton. They work together. And this is kind of how I, I, I envision church programs and then the organic stuff that happens outside of church programs. So you have the program stuff is like the skeleton, and then the outside of the stuff, like where you're hanging out together and doing life together, that's more like the flesh and like the, the muscles and the tendons and ligaments. And these have to work together. We can't just have church programs and that's it. We've got to have the relational stuff too. And it has to work together. We need both. So if you attend programs, but you don't engage relationally, then it's a skeleton with no muscle. If you just engage relationally, but you don't attend church and do the church program stuff, it's a muscle without skeleton. And so these have to work together for it to work. So here's why we disciple in community. The first is because of spiritual gifts. When most of us think of discipling, we think of just the one-on-one stuff. And that's part of it. But it's not the primary way we do it. We think of spiritual gifts. Every Christian is uniquely gifted for certain functions in the body of Christ. We believe that you're gifted as well um, to function in the body of Christ. And if discipleship is only just a one-on-one thing and that's it, then we miss out on all the gifts working together in the body of Christ. So look at Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11. It says, and he gave the apostles, this is Paul writing, so bear with me on this. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness, and deceitful schemes. 
And that's just sentence one. Thank you, Paul. Verse 15. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Okay, so you can see there is some, there is some skeleton and body language here in the passage, right? And so this is kind of what we're playing off of here. So God is giving these kinds of people to the church for a purpose, and the question is for what? He says to equip you for ministry. So my point in being here is not just to stand on a stage and spout off a bunch of stuff and have you just listen, and that's it. But it's for you to go and do the work of ministry with it. It's to equip you for the work of ministry. The reason we teach up here is so that you can teach one another in your communities. So what this results in is this building up of the body, this unity, this maturity takes place. And this happens sort of like a body growing organically. You can't always see it. Like, I know some of you all, you're, you're going to grow over the summer like an inch or seven. And it'll happen to some of you, watch. And, uh, and you can almost see it, almost daily, but not quite. In the body of Christ, it's similar. You can't always detect spiritual growth and just see it happen when it happens. But it just, it just, it just happens organically. It just grows because the body of Christ is working together like in this way. Look what happens in verse 14, though. Look at verse 14 again where it says, So that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness, in deceitful schemes. Now, when I see someone who just gives up on community in the church, what happens when I see someone do that? Verse 14 happens, and it happens every single time. When I see students come in here, and then they, they get hurt or upset or something happens, and that does happen in, in the body of Christ. It surely does. But if they just start to pull away from community and bail in the church, what begins to happen is the seeds get planted for verse 14 to happen. I've seen it happen almost every single time where they just end up being like a ship with no anchor. And they're, they're carried away by all kinds of thoughts and all kinds of ideas that aren't grounded in a walk with Christ. And then look at verses 15 and 16. It's like a human body growing up together. And when each part is working properly, it makes the body grow so it builds itself up in love. And all this can't happen just one-on-one, right? It has to be the body working together in community. So why has God spread out all the gifts like this, I think, in the body of Christ? I think it's because so, so we don't get the glory, but God gets the glory. There's a reason why not one person in this room has all the spiritual gifts, because God wants him to get the glory and not just one person or not just a handful of people in the body of Christ. So I want us to look at the next reason why it needs to happen in community is because of the one another's. If you look at the New Testament, all over the place, you're going to see this, these one another's, they call them. We're going to cover them here briefly. And here's why this is really important. 
Because as I list out these one another passages really quickly, I'm going to ask you the question, if you're kind of down on community, don't really see the point of it, don't really like it, then I would ask you this question, where in your life are these things taking place, the one another's that we're, that we're going to look at in a second, where are these things taking place in your life? And how are they taking place in your life? During our uh, superhero sermon series, uh, the freshmen weren't here for this, but I'll just explain what happened real quickly. We did a talk on um, the Green Lantern, tying that into a, 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 an ancient heresy. And there's an old friend of mine who um, is now in Hollywood writing, writing screenplays for movies. And he did the screenplay for the, the Green Lantern movie coming out in about a year and a half or so. And so he, um, we interviewed him on the, on, through Skype on that Sunday morning. And um, something I didn't tell you that Sunday morning is that he no longer considers himself a Christian. He's a young man that I spent hours with. Um, he was in my small group whenever I first became an intern at a church in Arlington, Texas. And then the next year, um, he was so smart and so intelligent. I was like, man, I want to spend a lot of time with this guy. And he had big hopes and big dreams. And he, identif- he, was, he would say he's a Christian when he was in high school. And we would sit out by his pool and read, like, really deep books and talk through chapters of C.S. Lewis books. And he had tons of questions. And, and he, from, from what I could tell, he was a genuine believer at the time, I thought. Obviously not now, because I look back and say, yeah, obviously. We talked recently before he did this interview with us, and he said, yeah, I don't really call myself a Christian anymore. I said, well, what happened? He said, well, I just, I don't know, I just don't, I don't feel it. I don't really feel like this need to be one. And so that was why I didn't delve into faith issues whenever he was on the screen here talking to you guys about that, that story, about the, that movie he, he helped, was a part of. But here's the deal. I remember back in high school, the statement he said to me, I'll never forget it. He said, he was the guy that came and attended Sunday mornings only, and that was it. And I said, Justin, man, we'd, we'd, we'd love to have you come on Wednesdays and be part of our, our, our community groups. And his statement was, yeah, but I don't really need that. He goes, I get everything I need on Sunday morning. So the way he saw community, or the way he saw discipleship, was simply, I just show up, I get information poured into my brain, and I go out and I try to live it out. It's like, no, it's more than that. It's about you being in community with other people, life on life, relationship, and this is how you're going to grow. And if you don't step into that, verse 14 happens. You start getting tossed about, and that's exactly what happened in his life. And I hope that we can continue talking, he and I, and can follow up and have those conversations. But this is where he is currently, and I think part of that's because he never really plugged into community in, in, the, in the full sense. This is why this is important. So here's the, the one another passages in the Bible. Mark 9.50, be at peace with each other. Who are you struggling to be at peace with? When you're in community, it sort of creates scenarios where you have to be at peace with people, right? Love one another. John 13, 34, rejoice with one another, Romans 12, 15. Weep with each other, Romans 12, 15. Carry each other's burdens, Galatians 6, 2. Forgive one another, Ephesians 4, 32. Bear with each other, Colossians 3, 13. If you're not in community, then who are you having to bear with? 
Who do you have to put up with? That's a part of what helps you learn the gospel, is you having to bear with people and having to forgive people helps teach you the gospel in a real tangible way in your life. Confess your sins to each other, James 5.16. Stir one another towards love and good deeds, Hebrews 10.24. That can't happen if all you're doing is just coming and sitting and listening and that's it. If your life is not being marked by someone else's life and vice versa, then these things can't happen. These things have to take place in community. So before we finish and go to your discussion, instead of just talking about the concept, I want you to hear from someone who has, I think, did a great job of staying connected through high school. And she is here today, so give it up for Camry Rose. Come on up, Camry. And I'm going to ask her some questions. So come on up. She and Cash were, like, begging for the microphone earlier, so I was like, fine, I'll just give it to one of you. Here you go. Here you go. All right, so a few questions I wanted to ask you. Um, Tell us about the role that community played in your life throughout high school, and how did it help you grow spiritually? Yeah, so I have been, like, and I'm sure a lot of you are the same way, like, going to TBC ever since, like, you were in the rally room, you were super little, and then you get here, and it's, like, totally different. And, like, as it should be. Um, So something I've been learning really recently about community is, like, y'all, especially freshmen, like, y'all are going to have community somewhere. Whether it's, like, your sports team at high school, like, the groups that you hang out with, like, whatever it may be, like, you're going to have some sort of community. But community here should be so much different. And, like, there's just such something I learned a lot in high school is, like, there's a huge difference between, like, the people I was with at school and, like, the people I was with here. Um, um, so the importance of like staying community in high school is just like you are not always in your high schools going to have people who are seeking after the Lord it's just like at least for me that was like really hard as I like thought that it was the same to just like have friends who like you know said they were Christians like went to church on Sunday did all the things and like there's a huge difference in that and people who are actually like trying to seek after Christ in their daily life and that's something that I found here Um, And no one is going to encourage you in that unless you're in the body of Christ here. So, like, like I said, like, that difference, like, you will never really see that difference unless you're here living in community all the time. Not just, like Dave talked about, like, just coming here on Sundays, but, like, being here on Wednesdays, things like impact, things like that are those places that you're going to find that community and see that difference between, like, just having friends who, like, say that they're Christians and, like, living moral lives, like, whatever that looks like for them, because that can vary, like, all the time, and just the difference between, like, really being with people here who encourage you in the gospel, who you can have accountability with, who you can be vulnerable with. If we talk a lot about confessing sins to one another and bearing one another's burdens, and, like, how can you do that if the gospel is not, like, the cornerstone and foundation of your friendship? Like, there's a huge difference between people that you know and being known by others. So, like, I know a lot of you, but I'm not known by everyone in this room or everyone that I come into contact with. Like, there's a difference between people just, like, knowing about me and having good friends here that know you and know what you struggle with and know what's hard for you and know what you need encouragement in, and you're not going to find that outside the body of Christ. So that's how that's been, like, really important for me. So I had, like, four I think she answered all four questions in one answer. So I'm going to try to break this down a little bit more than that. But So what, what do you think made it difficult 
in high school? What made community difficult sometimes in high school? Yeah, um, I think definitely just like time. Um, as you guys get like further into high school and like homework gets harder, classes get harder, you've got a lot of stuff to do. You have practices for sports teams, like whatever it may be in your like church is just like at the bottom of your priority list. Going to Wednesday nights community group, bottom of your priority list. Um, G groups on Sunday nights, which like I didn't even get involved with until like junior, senior year. It's just like, and eh, we're just gonna like kind of push that to the side. like that's just not as important and I don't think it was really until like I hit like junior senior year that I had to make that conscious decision of like no like I need to realize that my spiritual growth is like so much more important than just like spending hours doing homework every night and saying like that's a reason to like not sorry couldn't tell if I was working um, so just yeah time is like really really hard and like that was something that was really convicting for me was realizing that like Sometimes it's okay to like set aside all those other things you have to do to put the importance of being in community here at church and at TBC is so much more important than like all these trivial things that we spend a lot of time doing, which is like super important. I'm not saying don't do your homework, do your homework, do well in school, but like think you don't think you can take those two hours to be at church on a Wednesday night, you can. Like looking back four years later and like seeing the times that I was like, no, like, I have too much to do tonight, like, I'm not going to go, like, it's not, it's not as important as you think it is, it really feels like the end of the world right now, it's not, like, it is, you will look back and be so glad that you spent more time in community, and at Wednesday nights, and at Sunday G groups, here on Sunday mornings, all the different things, that'll be so much more valuable to your growth as an individual, and as a believer, than, like, spending time on other things ever will, um, so, yeah, that was definitely what was really hard for me. Thank you so much for sharing. I appreciate it. Thanks a lot. Give her a hand, guys. She really did. I had more questions, but she somehow found a way to answer each one, like, in two, two responses, which is great. So I appreciate that. Um, so we're going to go to discussion now. So you guys have discussion. She's at your tables. And spend some time doing your discussion. We're going to try to finish by 1220 or so. 